listening to the Lucas Askew Experience. Now, here's your host, the one and only, Lucas Askew. Hello world, welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. As the name would allude to, yes, I am back talking about the greatest reality television show known to man or woman. Yes, it's Big Brother. Big Brother is that three-month power struggle. And this Wednesday, it all ends now, with the winner being crowned and 500 k being handed out for the top prize. I chat about the season at large and look ahead to the finale on Wednesday night. We'll jump right into it. Enough preamble by me as I have a lot of conversation to go over. And there is no sponsor of LAE this week. Yes, I know the commercial spots are a source of endearment with the LAE faithful. So let this be a call to each listener out there to help us attract more sponsors. The more you listen, the more you share with your networks, the more LAE is able to bring you such sweet deals as 20% off your tax filing software. So with that being said, enjoy the Big Brother Conversation. Kelsey, where are you? Come on, Kelsey. Well, I guess Kelsey's dodging my calls. We'll have to go to the next best solution. Welcome back to the Lucas Askew Experience. Today we're talking Big Brother. And as you just heard, I I tried to give Kelsey Philpott a call as he was here for the Big Brother brother preview show but kelsey is too busy socializing in in new york so having to go to the bullpen and go to my actual big brother we got the venerable christopher askew back for again you basically are part of this show now as uh as evident by your very frequent appearance but glad you're able to to talk big brother with me today thanks for having me on yes i uh Outside of the podcast where I've been featured, I, ha- I would have to say that my favorite one so far has been the one that you did with Kelsey, as I am, you know, quite the quite the fan of the show. It's hard to believe the the summer. It's kind of the it's the ultimate uplifting experience in June when you, you know that Big Brother is starting and you have this two and a half month power struggle. When it closes down, it's the it's really the end of summer and winter is coming. That's for sure. So it's been been an interesting 19th season uh, of Big Brother. We've got three people left. The finale is uh, this coming Wednesday. I know I will be tuned in. It's a two-hour episode. I don't know what they're going to fill two hours worth of content, but um, there's, there's been a rumor that Cody might be proposing. I know it's a, a huge rumor. Do you think him and Jessica could uh, could at least get engaged on live TV? Well, this is the first that I'm hearing about that rumor. I guess you kind of follow those back channels a little more than than I do. Uh, I would say that I would lean towards no. If if they had both been hanging out in the jury house for the past month or so, I could see maybe then mm-hmm. justifying that that proposal. But you know, it's been actually pretty hard. I'm sure for both of them being being kind of split apart. How she had to she was kind of the last person that uh, didn't get to go to the jury house because of that separation i, I would say that they're that's probably not going to be in the cards 
Okay, we'll uh, we will see come Wednesday night. But we're not here to talk about Cody or Jessica. We're here to talk about the the final three. Give a little recap of the season that was, um, and then give our picks. Uh, what we think is going to be happening Wednesday. Also have a, a couple other conversations like Celebrity Big Brother that uh, is going to be airing this winter. TBD of how that goes, but we'll dive right in the the final three. Christmas, Josh, and Paul. I think everyone predicted these. Jump a jellyfish. Your final three. What are your what are your thoughts? How surprising is this on a scale of one to ten for you? Well, I would. I think your line, if if you would have picked Josh and Christmas, uh, first of all, being a tandem duo, and secondly, making it this far, especially after Christmas got injured, uh, because. Josh has been so all over the place, just emotionally and his competition level. So I definitely didn't, they definitely seemed like an odd couple to kind of team together. And, and I would have thought that Josh would have been, you know, evicted, you know, with this, through some of his meltdowns. And, you know, Christmas seemed like kind of an easy target to kind of pick off, you know, a very strong competitor, but then was weakened by obviously that injury. And I thought maybe early in the season they might have, you know, used that opportunity to kind of take her out while they could. But, uh, you know, it ended up teaming up with Paul. And I think that's why Paul kind of took that duo over the other duos he was working with, Jason and Alex and Matt and Raven, why he took those two the farthest he could because he kind of probably thought that they were the weakest and the easiest he could beat going into this uh, final three and this final HOH competition. You're right there in terms of Paul surveying the land and, and we'll get to the Paul story here in a bit but uh, surveying the land and the fact that we had these I, I'm not even going to call them power duos they were duos they they lacked power all season long Matt and Raven Jason and Alex strongest competitors Josh and Christmas you know you can beat Christmas in a a physical competition in this three-part final HOH you know the first one is going to be a uh, a competitive competition, which Paul knows he can he can beat Christmas, probably can beat Josh in. So you're you're guaranteeing yourself that that spot in the the final final round, um, and then it's really just a a coin flip of understanding that the house guest um, with that that final questionnaire. So I agree. I think you're choosing Christmas, you're choosing Josh because you know you can beat them. I think the the one outlier and the thing standing in the way of Paul and that $500,000 prize is the most erratic player that we've seen in a while. Josh, who Kelsey and I's uh, draft, he was the final pick uh, because we both thought he was out week one or week two because of that emotional nature. He has he's grown up a little bit on this show and really shown that out of these other players, uh, not named Paul, he's actually probably played the next best game. I think Josh... It will be Josh and Paul in that final showdown. And if Josh can somehow pull a rabbit out of his hat and beat Paul in that sense, I think he has enough brain power to select Christmas and go to that uh, the final seat. I think Paul will probably take Christmas just because it's, again, she, she really hasn't done much. But yeah, I, I think J- the erratic Josh is the only thing standing in between Paul and $500,000. So you think it's a done deal that Paul would definitely take Christmas? That that's kind of interesting because I 
I, I am still kind of on the fence of who he thinks that would be the best person to sit next to. I just, I think you're, you're right in the fact that Josh, he doesn't have a great relationship with Cody or Mark. I think he loses those votes anyways. But I, I do think the grand perspective of Christmas isn't that positive, just in terms of some of the live feeds that I've seen and some of the, the feedback that the, the jurors have, have shared. I don't think she's as well-liked in the house as at least CBS has, has made her uh, into being creating that sympathy card. So I think that taking her to the end, knowing that she really didn't win much, she was, she was given two HOHs by Paul, I think he would have a, a easier time in convincing the, the jury that he played a better game. Ultimately, I don't think it matters who Paul takes. If, if Paul is that in that final seat, there's no way he shouldn't win. Uh, he's been the best player all, all season long. He has orchestrated a wonderful game, a very conniving, very dirty game in some instances. But I think that's the way you have to play. Um, so I, I don't think it really matters. But I think Christmas gives him uh, the best chance in, in winning. Yeah, because it is kind of interesting to hear uh, the last couple of weeks where they've been showing the jury a little more. And you can tell that uh, Paul has developed some enemies in that jury house. And it'll be curious to see if over time and by the time they get to finale night, whether people like Jason, who we you know was completely felt betrayed by Paul, and uh, some of the other guests, whether they can you know, put some of that personal sentiment aside and just recognize that Paul played the best game and he outplayed them. And it was interesting to hear people like Alex and Raven already seem to be shifting towards recognizing how good of a game Paul played. If now they're in the jury house and they're all, it's like the first time that they're all really talking to each other and realizing that Paul was in alliances with all of them. And that's, I think, what was so frustrating as a, as a viewer wondering why people like Jason or why other people like Mark or whatever didn't really campaign to the, the head of household. They would just kind of put their faith in Paul's hands and just assume that they would be fine. And once they were you know, evicted, they were then kind of, you know, they felt blindsided. And then, but they, why should they be so surprised if they never really talked to the other house guests or the HOH? People like Matt never really campaigned to stay in the house because he kind of put all of his faith in Paul's hands, which is just very naive thinking on, on their part. You, you make you make great points, and I think, and maybe it's it's the short term memory, but I expect at least a, a few players to to play that type of game, put all their their eggs in a a veteran basket or, or someone that is is playing the game really well, and you can kind of ride their coattails. But the fact that all of these players use that same tactic, I think it was. It was baffling to me. It definitely has to do with a little bit of Big Brother casting and, and the way these these players were were coming to the game. Uh, I, I personally was disappointed in Matt. He was my he was my first pick in in the Big Brother draft that I did with Kelsey, and he showed zero game all season long. And it, it was it was a common theme though. People were decided to ride Paul's coattails. I, I do want to. I would love to get your perspective, though, on would this have changed had Cody not taken that early shot at Paul? Because my my hypothesis is that early shot just shook the house to its core. And because of that, people 
almost took pity on Paul and were afraid to, to go back and take that shot as well because they saw how vilified Cody was and didn't want that, that same repercussion. Well, for, first, before getting into that, I would just like to say I think Paul really benefited from that uh, special power. I can't remember exactly what it's called now, but that America voted to give him to give him that safety for those first few weeks. And that's, I think, you know, very important for a veteran coming in. And it's hard not to think that CBS didn't maybe manipulate some of that uh, that power that he, he was given in order to ensure that Paul, a popular guest, uh, remained in the game for at least a few weeks and gave him that chance to kind of, you know, build some relationships. And otherwise, he would have been an easy, you know, he was an easy target in those first few weeks. So I think giving him that safety for the first few weeks definitely changed the game because otherwise, he, I bet you he would have been voted out. And then now to address, yeah, Cody, it is interesting to think that probably Cody and Jess, they played a great game. They, I shouldn't say, I take that back, that they didn't play a great game, but they were actually kind of smart in the sense that Cody recognized early on that Paul's a threat, we need to get rid of him. And same, same with, you know, Jess also, you know, did have a good game and that she wasn't always, you know, and early on trying to trust everybody and uh, was trying to play the game a little bit and build alliances and and try to you know look to target people not just go with whatever the house is thinking but it's kind of sad that in the end that really just kind of you know made them you know targets on their own and had the rest of the house kind of gang up on him and that was kind of i don't know how you felt but i i know watching some of those middle weeks it just felt like a very mob mentality where these people just became you know quite angry and there was a lot of you know hatred almost towards these other you know guests and you had people like josh he was being a bully himself to these other guests yet he wasn't being you know having the same you know sort of animosity being brought towards him like he's banging pans and other faces of other guests like that's not that's not good behavior yet he wasn't you know his game what didn't suffer because of that behavior and it was i i found it kind of tough to watch that uh, mob mentality in some of those weeks i don't know how you felt I, I would agree. I think there was there was definitely that bullying aspect that you saw. Even at the Dominique level, early on in, in her one week, you'd have that one target. They would just be ostracized. They would be basically alone in that game. And it is kind of sad, especially when you don't have contact with the outside world. You have an entire house that hates you for usually not a particularly meaningful reason. It really it did ruffle my feathers a little bit and um, it made me feel a little bit for that other side. That's why I was hoping all season long that someone would break out from the mob, see that Paul was dominating and directing all of that traffic and be willing to make a move. And the thing, and Julie and I were, were talking about this, when Christmas... Julie Chen? Do you no, talk to Julie Chen? Uh, the, the other Julie, uh, my wife Julie... We, we talked about like Christmas when she was HOH. She's like, I need to make a big move. I'm going to nominate and gun for the most obvious competitor, Mark, who the entire house wanted out. That's not a power move. That's not a big move. That's the simplest move to go along with the mom mentality. Like There were so many options that you could 
not just take a shot at Paul, but go after Alex and Jason, shake up the house and make it more interesting. But that just wasn't the case all season long. And Paul rode his way masterfully to the to the end now. And that's interesting you bring that up about Christmas, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, trying to get out target mark. And I, it's one thing that I never really understood that if, if you're, if I was head of household and there's this one, you know, individual that has no other alliances, is kind of weakened and everybody's, you know, trying to gun for that person. Well, why would you necessarily want to use your HOH and get that person out? If Mark isn't coming and targeting Christmas, it doesn't really necessarily help her game to just get out Mark. It makes more of a sense to almost build a side alliance with Mark and maybe try to target somebody that's really that you think would actually target you and come after you if they were to win HOH the following week. It's always kind of been, again, this when you when you kind of go with the rest of the house, you are trying to appease the house, but you're not always taking out that target who's really, as they say, best for their game. And uh, it's something that, you know, Paul was kind of basically able to manipulate and, and take out who he who was best for Paul's game, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily who was best for the HOH's game at the time. In the, the same line of, of Paul, I, I'd love to get your perspective. The way that he played his game this year compared to last year, he obviously changed it up a little bit. Uh, he was more of an underdog all season last year. It was his first time on the show, won a ton of competitions. This year, he had to play a different game, being the, the returning vet. Uh, I think it was a more cutthroat game. He did a, a much more masterful job of manipulating. How would you rate, for this season, Paul, in, in terms of the all-time seasons of Big Brother, and then secondarily, in the all-time greats, the Dr. Will, Mike Boogie, Dan Giesling, Derek Lavasser, where would you rank Paul in, in that Mount Rushmore? That's always, you know, it's it's tough to always kind of compare those seasons, but obviously, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, Paul's season this year is, it's it's pretty remarkable considering you go in as the number one target, the obvious target where everybody is gunning for you. And as I mentioned earlier, I really do think, again, that he benefited from having that special power of being free for the first few weeks, but he definitely, I think, played the game that he had to kind of play. He couldn't be you know, friends with everybody, he was going to have to play a little bit uh, a dirtier game in order to get ahead. He needed to make sure that he never was even considered to be a target because if he would ever go up on the block as even a pawn or anything like that, it would be, I think, hard for the house to not want to take a shot at him. So he did have to make sure that he was very manipulative and ensure that he never was on the block. And again, that's another reason why it'd be hard not to vote for Paul to win this year. I mean, it's so incredible to be a veteran and never to really to go on the block. And, you know, so he definitely has to go, you know, this season right up there with the all-time great seasons. And as far as his all-time kind of record goes, I mean, anytime you can appear in two separate, you know, Big Brother seasons and finish in the top three, I mean, that puts you, you know, among the handful of great players. I I've only been watching Big Brother and when I, for ten years, which still that feels like a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of a lot of wasted hours. That's for sure. So I don't necessarily, you know, have the same knowledge of the the history of this this great game as as you do. But you know, I would have to, you know, put him up there, obviously with with Dan and 
of those people that have played multiple times. It really kind of really puts you in a select few. I mean, it'd be interesting to see Derek was, you know, the best I've ever seen kind of a player. I thought Derek that season Derek played, but he never had to repeat it. And I would be curious to see if he had to go in being a single vet, how Derek would do uh, with people knowing, you know, now his history and what he is as a, as a police officer and his background and his success on the previous season. We'd be curious to see how Derek would do if given a second chance. So I think that kind of gives Paul the edge of having those two top three, especially, and I think we're assuming that he goes on to win this season, to have a second and a first place, that kind of puts you in kind of one of those top two or three players of all time for sure. Mm-hmm. He is definitely in that that conversation of handful great great players. I did forget to mention uh, Evil Dick, who played probably one of the dirtiest games. He, he was the originator of the pot and pan mentality that that Josh replicated this season he ended up winning with um, and bringing his daughter to the uh, the final final two with him uh, so I, w- I would put him in that category as well I think if you, the all-time singular season I think you still have to put Derek even though Paul has gone this entire way without being on the block which Derek did as well I think the the way that that Derek did it for those not familiar it was, it was very methodical he didn't really, he, he was manipulating, but he was doing it in a way that he had a s- strong core alliance that was taking the shots and he was convincing them to make it feel like they were making the decisions, even though it was really in his best interest who they were going after each week. So I think for an individual season, Derek is, is up there. The cumulative effect of Paul being in back-to-back seasons, people know what type of game, what type of player he is. The fact that he's been able to replicate it is pretty remarkable. I would still put the mist of Dan Giesling just ahead of him a little bit. Dan obviously won one season and got to the final in in another season. Just the the way that he he was able to manipulate the the famous funeral episode, people really respected that a little bit more. And I think in his season the players were a little bit stronger. That's where I'm knocking Paul just a little bit this season, that I don't think he had the type of competition that we've seen in other seasons. At least just one or two other players that were really in the game strategically, both from a social and competitive standpoint. We lacked that a lot this season. And I think Big Brother 20 coming up, I think Big Brother will need to do a stronger job in bringing more of those strategic minds to the table that we can have a little bit more of a of a game that isn't just one person dominating and everyone following where we can have more of the alpha people in the game but that are thinking through it more at a a deeper level no i I agree it was kind of disappointing that's a good point to raise about uh, the weaker cast that uh, paul's faced and i i would i would just like to you know further Elaborate. Yeah, I do agree that Dan and Derek probably they weren't as dirty in their manipulation, and I do think like the jury kind of responded a little better compared to maybe Paul's kind of game where he did have to be a little more had to lie a little more outright than than the other two had to, had to do. So I think that would kind of give again them the edge. Um, and yeah, it does seem like the cast just. I'm surprised. Like, where was that? You know, 35 year old you know science nerd that really knows a lot of stuff and i guess that was cameron i guess <laughs> yeah exactly i was just gonna say it was it was cameron if he uh 
he knew so much. Did not do well. So the, yeah, that and then you know Christmas we thought was going to be this nice physical, you know, physical com- competitor, and ended up getting injured and hasn't been able to really kind of you know show off you know her probably greatest asset. And it would be interesting to see how maybe the season would again be different if she was able to compete uh, more in these competitions. And uh, and again, even if Cody didn't doesn't take that initial shot at at Paul, he might you know be able to kind of keep his alliance going for a few more weeks before they decide to uh, uh, go after and target Paul. Like, so it is just kind of interesting how some of those, maybe some of the better people, you know, either got evicted early or got injured and kind of just really affected the season. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, Wednesday, there will be a, a a champion crowned who you got, who you taken. um, Ultimately, who do you think is going to make it to the final two? Who do you think is going to win and their the estimated um, vote total? Well, I as you've kind of already kind of elaborated, we know that the first competition, if it follows the standard formula, it's, it's usually that physical competition, that endurance challenge. So Christmas is not going to not going to win that first round. Josh doesn't look like the best you know physical specimen either. So I think I would give the edge to Paul winning that first round, and therefore we know guaranteed he's probably going to be in that final that final uh, round of the head of household competition so i do think that and he he's shown in the past that he's pretty good at you know guessing responses of players or understanding how people would respond so i would give do think that paul's going to win the hoh which which is good for him because i don't think that if he doesn't win that the other two competitors you know josh and christmas would be crazy to kind of take him to the final uh so i do think he's going to win I think he would take Christmas. I think that's just a it is a safer bet. Uh, Josh has kind of surprisingly, you know, won more competitions like out, out kind of outright. I mean, again, we've seen so many throwing competitions this year. It is kind of uh, I I don't remember in the past having so many comp I mean competitions where it just wasn't really feel like everybody's competing. I mean that racing comp yeah. I mean that's that's a low point in Big Brother Big Brother's history. I mean like it's so obvious like if you're if you're watching this if you're competing in this and you're seeing everybody all these false starts that something's going on and i guess everybody just had complete faith in in paul and I, but this is where i get so surprised that nobody you're spending 24 hours a day in the same house and you're not talking to each other about what the plan is and how josh uh, paul's lies never kind of caught up with him it's amazing that he, he never got called out for for telling, uh, spreading the rumors or saying one thing to one couple and then saying a different thing to another couple. It's insane that they never kind of cross communicated. I, I was actually going to put one uh, bow on that uh, specific low point in Big Brother history. Think about the production crew that put together, that <laughs> does so much work in putting together these competitions, the sets. And I bet they're watching this like you've got to be kidding me. We create, we spent all night putting this together, and no one's actually running this race. Like I would, I'd be, I'd be upset if I'm the production. And, and when you say putting together, you mean reusing the same sets that they've been using for the last 19 years, just maybe with a different, D- different. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but it's still oh, okay. someone had to paint that. So you got Christmas, you got Paul. How do you think the votes are going to go? I think Christmas might get three votes and the rest would go to rest to go to Paul. There'll definitely be two or three people that will just not be, 
not be able to vote for Paul. I mean, I'm very curious. I mean, Cody's just shown his his absolute hatred of Paul. But deep down, like Cody's kind of a you know a competitor, and sometimes you know competitors at the end of the day can you know respect maybe what Paul did, and he he would have maybe a hard time giving Christmas this vote knowing that she, you know she wasn't winning a bunch of competitions on her own and really playing a great game. So, but it it's not going to be unanimous. There's always going to be two or three people that you know aren't going to be able to realize you know how great of a game Paul played. So I would say she'll get two or three votes, and uh, Paul will get the rest. I also agree. I think Paul wins the final HOH, takes Christmas. I think he he gets all but one vote. That's Josh throwing a vote to his to his girl Christmas. Cody is a is a bitter individual. We know that, but I think he respects the the game and the competition a little bit more. And he doesn't really like Christmas as well. So it's not as if he's choosing between someone he hates but respects and someone he um, likes and doesn't quite respect as much. So I think the, the rest of the house will come together. They'll have that, that final conversation. Dr. Will will probably be advising them and having that nice scripted conversation with the, the fire. I hate that, the fire I hate the, that conversation. It, it, is, it is pretty bad. They, they definitely stretch the finale out a lot. So I, I, I think at the end of the day, Paul is the victor uh, in my eyes. Uh, I, I, li- I, like, I like him. I like him more as an underdog. Just the, the way the season has turned out wasn't as enjoyable for, for me watching this season. But in the end, we're going to tune in next season. Big Brother 20 coming up. But last question in putting the, the final bow on, on Big Brother. Big Brother 20 coming next season in the summer. I, don't, I haven't heard that it's been, being extended anything past that. Um, how many years do you think this has left? And then two, what would you do to improve it and, and keep people coming back year after year? Or do you need to change anything? Well, yeah, you, I think you definitely, if you want to, if you want to, you know, stay around for the next five, ten years, which I, you know, it does well. I'm assuming it does pretty well for CBS. It's, it, it does. It's a great, yeah, it's a great show in the summertime when, you know, all network kind of struggling for viewers. So I do think that, the network wants to kind of keep it around. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it another another 10 years for sure. And if that's the case, they are going to need to try to uh, change things up a bit. Because if you think about how many you know seasons they've had and how many people that they've had on the show, I just feel like the first thing I need I would change is to really look at how they are casting these people. Because it does feel like uh, since when I first started, the first few years I was watching, I was always really impressed with with the cast, there would always be a handful of people that I would really like, that I would really follow, that I'd be invested into. And so you would really have me watching the full season, uh, most basically every episode and really, uh, really staying until the end versus the last few seasons. I've, there might only be one or two people that really kind of resonate with me and the rest seem like fairly weak players. And so oftentimes when, if the one or two people that I do like, are evicted, I really lose focus and interest in the season at hand. So they definitely need to do a better job at at casting to try to get some more people that have are a little more intellectual and able to maybe make real power moves and not just kind of follow what every everybody else is doing in the house. And I don't know how you necessarily screen for that, but 
and they need to maybe go back to some of those earlier castings and see what that key was back then of how they were getting some of these years where they were having half a dozen strong players that were really competing for that for that uh, championship where this year it just kind of feels like we're going through the motions just uh, before we crown Paul because he's the only one really playing the game. At the core, it it revolves around the cast. You, you can only be as, as good of a season with the, the people that you're bringing into the house and the personalities that you're creating and cultivating. Yes, the previous couple seasons have not been great in terms of the, the competitors. They do have a strong formula in terms of people that can stir up the pot a little bit and have differing personalities that clash because I think that's where you get entertainment and the the TV that's created. But you need to balance that with people that are playing the game, understand the game. And just when you say Big Brother super fans, I don't think these super fans are also the... Yes, they've watched maybe every episode of every season, but I don't think you really understand the game and, and have that mindset it's not just watching the game. It's it's being a strategic thinker and being able to uh, connect with people socially, but then also use part of manipulation to uh, really adjust and pull the course of the season in your direction. So I, I think you are correct that the cast, it, it starts and ends there. Yeah, and so that actually, when you're talking about super fans, it kind of reminded me, so has Kevin seen a show of Big Brother in the past? Like it, it kind of felt like he'd never really watched Big Brother before. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know if. Uh, I don't. I don't know what goes on in in Kevin's brain as well as Raven's brain. I think th- those are. If you want to do research on two particular human beings, I think that would be very interesting to see what goes on in the synapses that are firing or not firing uh, for those particular individuals, but. I think he, he understood and, and knew what to do when it came to hitting a buzzer for 25000 But other than, <laughs> other than that, I don't think he knew what he was doing uh, inside that house. But he, he gave me the actual single greatest moment for me watching was that cling wrap uh, segment uh, where he was cling wrapping his abs uh, while he was going to sleep to keep them tight at night. But other than that, he, he really didn't do much. This season. How about when he brushes his hair with his toothbrush? <laughs> didn't that didn't make your list? <laughs> that, that was that was close, but uh, I, I had to. I, I preferred tighter abs than uh, well brushed hair, but yeah, that was that was odd for sure. But it is interesting when you're speaking about those token individuals and diversifying the cast. He's an example of again they often throw in the, a token older individual, and again if you're one individual and you're quite a bit older than the rest of the cast it just always makes it tough to to fit in and it never feels like that person really stands much of a chance but um what what if you had a cast of like some newbies as well as like three or four older individuals that may be more athletic like not just a token 70 year old grandpa aka jerry from a few years back but have those 35 or 40 plus individuals that can maybe compete um, on a, com- a competition level, I think that would be an interesting dynamic of you would obviously create these two sides of the house, but I could see people turning in the on the younger alliance 
to want to play with one of these older individuals that more are more experienced. So I think that would be an interesting thing to test one year. Yeah, I know. I agree with that. Uh, I think, again, we touched on earlier, a problem could be with that 35 to 45 age category is they have full-time jobs, right? And uh, it's always kind of maybe tough to, uh, to cast that, uh, that age group. But I just get to the, the second thing that I would maybe change is I've always, it's always bothered me this concept that you can win HOH one week, have, you know, target somebody, evict somebody, you can't compete the following week and you might be put, you uh, aren't put on the block. So you don't compete in the power of veto and then you are backdoored and therefore, and then possibly evicted. And therefore it raises the opportunity that if you are a really big threat and you win a competition HOH, that the following week you could be evicted without ever playing in a competition. And, that's something that's always always bothered me, and and so I, I would change that rule that uh, that you can't that the HOH can't compete the following week. I would let them compete that week because again, I feel that they make these competitions very random. Some of them aren't necessarily skill based. I mean, if you're, uh, you're pushing a, a disc down a lane or you're just holding on like into a hot dog, I mean. Uh, they're very random. It's kind of tough to predict who's really going to win. So I don't think it gives them too much of an edge. And I think they should do away with that rule to make sure to allow people to at least get a chance to compete each week so that they're not evicted without ever having that opportunity to compete. What do you think about that? I, I think that they should put that into production starting next season. It, it will at least give someone the the feeling that they were able to compete, unlike a Cody that just you know he wants to compete, but has absolutely no chance after he wins one HOH. You shouldn't be completely docked because you win an HOH one week and are powerless the next. I'm, I don't think you can really do anything about the, the randomization of the veto pulling and pulling names. I think I would still keep that as that. If an HOH wants to backdoor someone, they should be given the ability to uh, take that chance and put two pawns up and hopefully that their ultimate target doesn't get picked and they backdoor them. But at least, like you said, have them compete in another competition. If you want to have a cap of maybe two or three HOHs in a row, then you have to sit out one, maybe three HOHs in a row. I'm okay with that. You don't want someone, that only one competitor, but then that goes back to the casting that hopefully you've brought in a array of individuals that span different types of competitions. You're creating more randomness in the types of competitions that you're using for HOH that someone just can't run the table and win every single HOH. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with that. It's always been now when we're down to, you know, less than six people and everybody gets to play in the veto, it's one thing because you know that everybody gets a chance to compete for that veto, even if you're not nominated. So you can win that veto and stay safe for the week. But it's when you have that nine, 10 competitors and everybody's hoping that your chip isn't pulled and that you might never get to compete. It just has always, you know, definitely bothered me. And I think it's a simple change that the network could, could make. And hopefully maybe Julie Chen listens to the Lucas Ask experience. I don't know, but, uh, not, not just Julie Chen, uh, Les Moonves, the, uh, her, her husband, so so to speak. I'm sure he listens and is a fellow LAE faithful like you are here today. Okay, that's uh, well. That would be awesome if they could make that change. But 
We'll, uh, anyway, those, those are my thoughts. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, again, we're, we're definitely out of time. I thank you for uh, picking up your phone, unlike Kelsey Philpot, who, again, another reason why you were my best man and he was just a groomsman. So I thank you for, uh, for coming on, on the show, talking big brother with me. And, uh, until we chat again, enjoy, enjoy the finale. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to be, uh, I said, using that PVR for that, that two hour finale. Cause there's definitely a lot of, a lot of fluff that they put into that finale. I'll give you the chance to actually sign off on this, uh, this podcast. So if you want to do any Christopher ask you specific sign off, the floor is yours. Well, we'd just like to thank all the listeners out here today to listening to the Lucas Askew experience with Chris Askew. Looking forward to uh, talking to you in the future. Thank you to my brother, Christopher, for hopping on the line. And thank you for listening to today's Big Brother review and ultimately preview for the season finale this Wednesday night with Christmas, Paul, and Josh battling it out for the top crown. And Actually, I'm getting a, a phone call right now, even though I'm, I'm wrapping the show live, as I always do. It's the uh, it's Kelsey Philpot calling. Uh, I guess he has time for uh, time for me in his social calendar. Kelsey, I'm uh, just actually recording the the final part of the the preview show right now. Well, you know what? I sensed that. I figured I'd give you a call. I know that I've been giving you the Heisman the last couple of days. Figured that uh, wouldn't exactly be in LAE without the the KP. Would it? That, that, it's true. It's true. And we'll see as as I'm editing. Uh, even though I. As everyone just listened to, I recorded a, a long session with my brother, but uh, I think there, there's room for another brother. Uh, as you as you saw, you were one of my groomsmen's. You're you're one of my boys. I can definitely uh, plug you in here. And um, as as we talked about the the final three, Christmas, Josh, and Paul, uh, what are your what are your thoughts of uh, the ultimate the, the season finale and, and what you expect come Wednesday night? Well, it's it's probably inappropriate to do a slow clap of two, uh, but if it were possible and socially acceptable, I, I would offer a, a very strong and prolonged slow clap for Paul. A masterful game played by Paul, two seasons in a row. In my mind, uh, the, the greatest Big Brother player this side of Will Kirby. Wow. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps... You know, the best player that we've ever seen, uh, I don't know that anyone has ever come in as a vet. And and uh, for any number of reasons, managed to, with such strong gameplay, whether it was on the competitive side, the social side, um, you know, the strategic side, setting a game plan every week, just completely destroy the there is no one in the house that even came close to his gameplay um, and, and perhaps that's also a sign of maybe what was and I think you would agree just a really weak season 19 cast in terms of gameplay uh, you know Cody had it pegged right from from week one or week two Paul was a threat uh, unfortunately he didn't have the social game to sort of get the the house on his side uh, really masterful game played by Paul, and, and uh, I, I really do think he deserves to win it. And if he doesn't, it'll be a real shame. He should have won it last year, and, and uh, you know, if if he doesn't win it this year, I think it's it's a bit of jealousy in that in that jury house. 
I, I would agree, and, and we talked about whether or not this, how I would rank this in terms of the all-time Big Brother seasons. I, was, I wasn't quite as bullish. I do think he, he's up there on the Mount Rushmore. Um, I do, maybe because I like Dan Giesling a little bit more. I think Dan Giesling coming back, he was one of the four vets that came back to the house, made it to the final um, final two, and ultimately lost to Ian, who played a, a really good game as well. But right. I, I think the, the reason I would knock it just a little bit is because of the house, and you just didn't see the competitive threats throughout the entire game. Um, but to Paul's credit, he... He knew what he needed to do every week, and just like getting out Dominique early on, who maybe could think a little bit more strategically than everyone else, targeting Cody and Jess, and really isolating them throughout the entire house, and no one wanted to work with them, even though they would have been the most formidable pair to pair up with to take down Paul. So you you have to tip your hat. I, I wish there was a little bit more drama this season of people actually making power moves, but Paul has done what he has had to do. He had a target on his back from day one. He got the pendant of protection, which I know CBS yeah. really put in there to, to keep him in there for a few weeks, but I think he really earned his stripes throughout the, the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. There's so many things that touch on and what you just said. One of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, I don't disagree. Dan was a hell of a player and is definitely on the Mount Rushmore alongside Will and probably Mike Boogie and uh, and Derek, of course. Um, oh, come to think of it, I don't know, as I'm not American, how many faces are actually on Mount Rushmore. It's probably four, right? <laughs> I, th- I think it, I think it's four, but uh, I think we, it's four. We, yeah, we, there might, be, might as well be five. But <laughs> you know, Paul did uh, is as masterful a job as anyone I've ever seen and probably even more so than Derek and not just getting other people to do what he wanted, but getting other people um, to exaggerate their personality to play a role and to lie and buy into the game on his behalf than I think I've ever seen. And, And Josh is a great example Paul treated Josh in in sort of phases in in getting Josh to who he is now in the game. At first, it was consoling Josh and letting him know that he had a friend and an ally in the house. And uh, he did that very purposefully so that he could, you know, betray the the attack from Cody and and, uh, Jess that was about to come. He, He then turned Josh into a bit of a weapon, sensing that Odie and, and Jess were really annoyed by him and used Josh and, and encouraged him to be a little bit more flamboyant than he usually was to get on their nerves. And, and then he sort of repeated that with various different people within the house, whether it was Matt and Raven, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christmas and Josh, or even Alex and Jason. It, it, it was a masterful playing of so many different parties and personalities against one another. Ultimately, your your final pick, you're you're going with Paul. You think he's he, come the end of Wednesday night. Julie Chen will be giving him the five hundred thousand dollar prize. Yeah, I think that's the safe money. Um, 
I think an interesting prop bet to your point of two hours of, of coverage that they need to fill over under 20 minutes spent promoting big brother celebrity. Ooh, that's a, that's a great, great prop bet and great segue to my next question after it. But I think I would say 20 minutes a lot. I think they probably give one segment, maybe five to seven minutes on it, but I think they will bring at least one or two quote unquote celebrities that are going to be competing or America will be able to vote for them to actually go into the house. So uh, what do you, yeah, what are your thoughts on the celebrity edition? You know, they've done the, the winter version once with that awful uh, love connection one that you were in Bordeaux, France. So you, you missed it anyways. You didn't miss much. Do you think they're going to the well a little bit too much with dipping into the, the winter time frame? Or do you feel the celebrity nature of it will actually liven it up and, and get viewers? I'm a little disappointed. I, I think they've got a really good thing going and, and it, perhaps it's just owing to a, a week sort of original programming schedule at CBS where they felt like they needed to pull up Big Brother to generate some ratings and, and lock down some stronger revenue for their their follow-up fronts. But I, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think it probably takes away from the brand because it dilutes it a little bit. You're saturating the you know, market for for Big Brother content. Um, and I'm also disappointed because I felt like after, what was the last Big Brother All-Star? Was like Big Brother years 7. Ago, six years ago? It was really? a while ago. Yeah, they've didn't, only had one. Didn't they do like 14 or 15? No, they ended up not. Uh, they've, they've brought back house guests pretty frequently, but it hasn't been an all-star styled cast. Could you imagine, though, like a Giesling, a Derek, a Paul, um, you know, I don't know that Paul would be willing to show three years in a row, but like Vanessa, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Paulie, uh, Paulie's brother. Like, mm-hmm. like, what a, what a show that would be. And I was kind of hoping that they would bring that back uh, for next year. Um, but big, but, bro- big know, brother, big they- brother 20, one can only hope that 20 big number that they, they make a big splash with that. So hopefully that is, that is coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's, uh, but like anything else, it, you know, the success of that show will depend upon the quality of the cast. Um, if 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 they're going to go down the celebrity route and they bring in, uh, you know, a former like Joey from NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, you know, that's on every celebrity show and is is at this point like the D-list celebrity. I don't think anybody gives a crap. Uh, but if, if they bring in some actual celebrities and maybe instead of uh, a typical 12-week cycle, they go for an eight-week cycle. And so instead of 16, it's 12 people. Um, it, maybe they've got a shot. That, that could be interesting. But I just don't know that they would have the money to offset um, – you know, the cost of those people and to justify whatever sort of ad revenue they would bring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I do want to close out because I know that uh, we're doing the three-hour time change, so we'll uh, we'll wrap up quickly. But uh, I, I did want to make note of our Big Brother draft this year that the loyal LAE faithful listened to. And for the past two years, I've been uh, holding the crown for Team OTEV. And this year was a, a I don't know if it's changing of the guard, but... Uh, I will I will tip my hat to the better player this year. You definitely knew what you were doing when you were picking Paul first and the Cody's, the Marks, the Jessicas that actually win competitions as opposed to me that decided to pick the Wallflowers known as Rafen and Matt who didn't do anything for the house. I, I do want to sis, uh, admit defeat and uh, crown you the, the victor of our Big Brother draft year three and uh, kudos to you for uh, making the adjustments this past offseason to, to field a winning team. Well, if you recall in our many games of tennis over the years, uh, that feeling that you have when you hit a nice winner to win a game or win a set, uh, and you had many, many, many of those, uh, I am doing a silent fist pump at home right now uh, because this is my winner, my my game, my set. For once in my life, I'll beat you at something. Uh, so feels great. Thank you for the kudos, especially the public kudos. Appreciate you coming, uh, you jumping on the line, and uh, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to chat before the finale on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. That now does it for today's pod. I'll be back in October with all new guests and all new topics, so you won't want to miss it. For Christopher Askew and Kelsey Philpot, I am still Lucas Askew, saying take care, talk soon, and God bless.